Everybody got your Bible open to John 3.16? Two of you. You okay? All right, so what's up? Anybody got your phone out ready? We got it on the screen. John 3.16. I want to I wanna, I wanna tell you that preaching Christmas sermons and honestly preaching Easter sermons are among my least favorite type of sermons to try to preach because there's nothing new I can add. There's nothing that I can say that even people who don't come to church that regularly probably have not heard or don't already know. Some of them know it better than I know it. Um, and, and so I, I was really torn, like, where to go? And, and so I, um, I asked the Holy Spirit, you know, please help me with this. And so I decided to just kind of go at it from a different angle. Can you put the New King James Version up? I, I put that in there as well. Uh, not the New Living for now. Uh, on the screen. Um, the title of the message today is The Real Reason for the Season. What do you guys think the real reason for the season is? It's a trick question, but I want you to answer it anyway. Jesus, yeah. And that is true, but what if it's not the whole truth? What if it's not the entire truth? You see, we know the Christmas story very well, right? Most of you in this room know John 3.16 by heart. But what if I told you that sometimes the fact that you think you know something actually is more of a danger to you? Because the better you know something, the more oblivious you become to its truth and its reality. Come on, there are things in your house right now that if I came to your home and, and, and I started looking around, that I would be able to point out things in your home that are broken or messed up or flawed. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. But you don't see it anymore, right? You don't see that loose doorknob. You don't see that, you know, that messed up trash can drawer that we finally fixed at my house this, after five years of living there. Finally, finally is fixed. We'll probably move out next week. We'll get a new house or something now that I've fixed that, that trash can drawer. Um, but I could find things all over your home. You could find things all over my home, right? You can find things in this building and you can point them out to me and I'll say, oh yeah, okay. And it's because I see it all the time, but you only see it the one time and you notice things. So the better we think we know something, the more in danger we become of missing the reality of that thing of which we think we know. So I'm gonna use my, the very first Bible given to me after becoming a believer in Christ. This is my old King James Thomas Nelson Bible here. Nothing special about it other than it was given to me the day I preached my very first sermon. And this is what it says in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now you may have heard or seen this done before. But you very well could say, for God so loved Drew. And you could put your hand on your heart right now. Come on, let's do that right now. And as I read that verse again, I want you to insert your name. I want you to say it out loud. For God so loved that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, we are so grateful for your goodness and your love that you give so freely. We are so grateful for the truth that is found in this one sentence 
that is the most popular Bible verse in the world, possibly the most quoted sentence on the planet. And so, Father, as we reflect on it for a few minutes today, I pray that the truth that we think we know so well, God would become brand new to us today that it would change and transform our hearts and that it would do a work in us, God, and that it would do a work through us, transforming us to love you more, but more than that even, to know how loved by you we really are. And we pray it in the strong name of Jesus and Lifehouse said, amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord praise in the house today? Amen. Amen. I have a confession for you I want to share. I believe with all of my heart, with everything within me, that God loves you, that God wants to forgive you, that God sees the best in you and wants to use you to build his kingdom and to spread the good news of Jesus. I believe it with all my heart that God wants to heal your body, to bless you financially, to bless you in your health, to bless your family, and and to see you prosper and to see good things in your life. I believe it with everything within me. But I struggle to believe it for myself. I don't know if there's anybody else in this room that ever feels that way. I can pray for God to bless you, to forgive you, to help you, to to do all these things for you. But when it comes to praying for it and for believing it for myself, at that point, I begin to struggle to believe that the God, the same God who will forgive you, who, who will bless you, who will use you, who will restore for you and do all these great things for you, I struggle to believe that, that he's going to do it for me. The, the, the truth is that every Sunday I get up here and I preach a message in some shape or form declaring the love of God, but I often walk off of this platform wondering if that same truth that I know is real for you is also real for me. I don't know if anybody else in the room can relate to feeling that way. Maybe the sermon today is just for me. And if that's the case, then maybe I'll get something out of it today. You see, I know that God knows all the things that I have thought, all the things that I have said, and all the things that I have done. That if we were to play a slideshow from this screen, I would be ashamed, I would be afraid of what you would think of me, and I would know that you would no longer feel like you would want me to be your pastor. Come on, am I being too honest with you this morning? Am I being too real? You okay? Am I making you nervous? You see, God knows my intentions and he knows my motives, because there are times that I will do things. And listen, if, if, if you know, let him without sin cast the first stone, Amen. There are times that I will do things, and you'll see it, and you'll hear about it, and you'll say, oh, Pastor Drew, he's such a good guy. But the Lord knows that in my heart, there was an ulterior motive to get that kind of reaction from you. Am I being, come on, I cannot be the only one in the room who has ever done something trying to put off an image that in my heart was a little bit of a disconnect from what you saw. 
Come on, somebody, help me out. Don't make me do this by myself today. I'm already nervous enough about this as it is. And, see, and the Lord knows that. In fact, God knows me better than I know me. Because there are even times when I think I'm doing the right thing, and I think I'm doing it for the right reason, but the Lord sees beneath every layer of my soul, and he knows it within me, that there is still that tinge of selfishness, that tinge of greed, that tinge of pride. And so when I go to him, and, 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 I, and, I, and I ask for forgiveness, there are things that I think to myself, I'm just, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of your love. I'm not worthy of your grace. I'm not worthy of your blessing. But see, I don't have that same problem believing it for you. And you know why, though? Because I don't know you like I know me. I see, for the most part, the best side of you. But I have to go to bed with the thoughts on my mind circling around of all the ways that I fell short that day. All the things that I said that I wish I could take back. All the things that I thought that I wish my mind wouldn't think. And so the same truth that I believe with all of my heart that is there for you, I sometimes struggle to believe that it is there for me. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't believe it. It doesn't mean that I don't know that it's not true. It doesn't mean that I don't truly believe that God, God's forgiveness is for me and God's love is for me just as much as it is you. It just means that sometimes it's a struggle. And sometimes I can't help but wonder, do you really, do you really love me? I mean, because I know me, God. Like, I know me. And if I were you, I don't know that I would love me. And, and, and if they knew what I know, I don't know if they would love me or come back to Lifehouse either. Come on, you guys okay? And so, today... I want to talk about love. Yes, precious, right? In the Greek language, I believe, I may be wrong here, I'm pulling back to 2006 in my Greek class. In the Greek language, I believe there are eight different words to describe love. I believe so. Um, the New Testament was written in Greek, and throughout the New Testament, you can find the word love described in, I believe, eight different ways. And I don't want to jump into all of those, but let me, the example that I would give you, the way I love steak, and I love steak. I mean, like, I love steak, right? But the way I love steak is not the same way I love my spouse, right? You know, the same way I love my car is not the same way I love my kids, and so in the Greek language, unlike in the English language, there are actually different words that all mean love, but they mean it in different forms. The way I love AJ is not the same way I love Kristen, right? And I love AJ, but I love Kristen very differently. Very differently. <laughs> and instead of talking about all the different ways love is used in the Greek language, because that would really kind of get confusing and it would be very tedious, I want to talk about two different types of love, and I think these will make sense to us today, just two different types of love. And the first type of love I want to talk about is a love that loves because the object is valuable. A love that loves because the object is valuable. So I've already given you one confession. Let me offer to you a second confession. And, and those of you who know me, 
fairly well. You know this already. Uh, you may not have known that I know this, but I do know this, and now you're going to know that I know that you know this. Uh, but my second confession of the day is, I, I, and I've heard AJ say this before, so I feel free to say this, I love stuff. <laughs> A few years ago, I asked Kristen what, is she, what she wanted for Christmas. I said, do you just want everybody to be happy and healthy? And, and she said, no, I want good stuff, stuff money can buy. <laughs> and it really surprised me to hear that from Kristen. Don't deny it, you said it. It's on Facebook. It's true because it's on Facebook. Um, and uh, it just it really made me feel better because she's a very good person, and I already explained to you how I'm not, <laughs> right? And I thought, okay, well, I'm not that bad then because I love stuff. I do. I like things. Now, but there, and I don't just like stuff. I like expensive stuff. <laughs> like, you can put me in a store and take all the price tags off, right? And say, go pick out five things. I guarantee you, I will pick out the five most expensive things in that store. I mean, I don't, I can't, I don't know. It is a spiritual curse in my life. Now, now, Kristen, she walks into a store and she immediately goes for the clearance rack. Listen, I ain't got time to sort through the stuff that nobody else wanted. Okay, there's a reason why it's there, okay? It either doesn't fit on short legs and wide bodies, right? Come on, look, I to, these are the shortest pants I can find. I still have to roll them, right? It either doesn't fit or it's ugly, okay? That's why it's on clearance, okay? And so, I mean, like, I'm going, like, I want to know where the top-tier stuff is, right? Uh, and, and so, that's my second confession. I like stuff. And, I, and maybe it's only a problem if I'm, on, if I'm unaware of the problem. No, maybe not. Okay. Maybe it's still a problem. So the first type of love, and I think we're all familiar, familiar with this love, is, uh, is we love something because it is valuable. We love something because the object, and it could be even a person, they're valuable to us, right? It's something that is valuable. Here's the problem, because that is the type of love that we are most familiar with. And we also, when we think about God's love, we, we, we might accidentally and even without realizing it, apply that same concept of love to our own lives. And here's the problem. If you don't see your value, or if you do not understand your value, you will struggle to feel lovable. You will struggle to feel like you are worthy of God's love because you are very familiar with a love that loves because the thing that is being loved is valuable. But if you don't feel valued, you can't feel loved. There's another kind of love. It's a love that loves, and then it gives value to the object. A love that loves and gives value to the object. And think about this for a moment. As a child, you may have had a stuffed animal. You may have had a toy. You may have had a blanket, right? Something that you loved that was not really valuable, but it was yours. And you loved it, and you cherished it. Uh, right here, I've got a blanket that belonged to Julia, our, our middle daughter, middle child. And it's a Dr. Seuss cat in the hat blanket. And you may not can tell it, but it is, it is woe out. You know, it is, it, is, it, is, it is seen better days, right? It was sitting on my desk this morning, and Julia, who hasn't had this for a few years now because we had put it in, in storage, 
she walked in and she saw it sitting on my desk and she said, hey, I recognize that. She's eight years old. She probably hasn't seen it for close to four to five years, wouldn't you say? And she said, hey, I recognize that. That's my blanket. And I said, it is. And she picked it up and she, and I said, give me that back. You can't have that now. But if I remember correctly, and even if I'm wrong, just go along with it here. Uh, I believe we bought this in a two-pack, or maybe it was given to us, and it was actually two of them. But for whatever reason, because kids are crazy, she only wanted this one, right? There was a smell to it. Something, something about the feel was ever so slightly different than the other ones. And we couldn't even wash this thing because we would wash the stink off of it. And it had to smell, you know, like, like wet wipes and baby stuff, right? Yeah. Because if it didn't smell like that, if it didn't feel dirty and grimy, then it wasn't her blanket. And she loved this blanket. And because she loved it so much, we wanted to keep it for her. And, and we took it away from her because that's what good parents do. They take things away from their kids as they get older, right? Maybe not. Maybe some of you are like, I don't think that's true. But she loved this blanket. There's nothing valuable about this blanket other than it was hers. And she loved it. And that's what added value to it. Now, this morning, I, I read from the very first Bible given to me as a believer. I don't want to say it was the very first Bible given to me because I'm not sure of that, but it was the very first Bible that was given to me after I became a follower of Jesus. Now, this Bible is nothing special to you. It's not an expensive Bible. It's in King James. Most of us don't read in the King James. Uh, we don't read from a King James Version. Um, it's, 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 it's got very small print, which, you know, even at 37 is already a challenge for me uh, today. Um, it's, just a, it's just a Bible, not, not an expensive Bible, not a nice Bible, not anything great about it. And, then, and I brought my other Bible up here, the one that I've been preaching from lately, and this is a very valuable Bible. Uh, I've told you before, first of all, remember what I said earlier, I like stuff, Okay. And the truth of the matter is, I read the Bible better when I read it from a calfskin-covered, hand-stitched, uh, with French milled paper, uh, in nice 10-point font, and it, sm it smells good, it, it feels good, it looks good. It's, it's just, mm, I love this Bible. And I have four more in my office, okay? So I just love it. I just like Bibles. I like, I like collecting them. You know, some people do drugs, some people collect Bibles, Okay. <laughs> And um, I'm not sure one's necessarily better than the other. And I'm not sure one's necessarily cheaper than the other either. But hey, you know, let he without sin cast the first stone. Anyway, this is a great Bible. This is a nice Bible. This is a beautiful handcrafted Bible. It's an expensive Bible, at least in the world of Bibles, that is. It's an expensive Bible. And here, this Bible probably cost about 10 times less than this one. But if you were going to take one away from me, if you said, you, you know, if you held a gun to my head for whatever reason, hopefully nobody gets any ideas, and you said, you have to give up one of these Bibles, well, then you can have this one. Because I can go buy another one of these. But I can't get another one of these. Because this one was given to me by my pastor who led me to the Lord on June 16th of 2000. As I kneeled in front, right there in an altar, not in this church, but in another church, as I kneeled right there while he was playing the keyboard, uh, and, and he got off the keyboard, he walked down, and he knelt down beside me, and he said to me, Drew, do you want to give your life to Jesus today? 
And he, in that moment, led me in the sinner's prayer as I committed my life to Christ. And then a few months later, on March 21st, 2001, as I was getting ready to go preach my very first sermon on a Wednesday night in Sebastopol, Mississippi, he handed me this Bible and he wrote in it. He said, to my son in the faith, you are an inspiration to me and many others. Be faithful to the call. I love you and God bless you. Brett Cooper, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. And so this was my Bible given to me. The Bible that I preached my very first sermon out of. It was a terrible sermon, but at least I had a Bible that meant a lot to me as I read from Philippians 2 and preached my very first sermon. I don't use this Bible anymore. I don't read from the King James. I, I, I prefer one with larger font. And, and I know this is controversial, and, but you know today is full of controversy. I actually don't like red-letter Bibles because I believe the entire scriptures are breathed, uh, the God-breathed Word of God. And so I, I want them all in black. Also, I don't like the color red a whole lot. And so there's another... Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but if you have a red-letter Bible, it's okay. Promise. I'm not criticizing that. But if you're going to take one of my Bibles away from me, take this one. Because this one I can't get back. This one I've had for 20 years that I've held on to. I've read it, most of it, cover to cover. At one point, I didn't understand it because it was in King James, and I couldn't really figure that out. Uh, but it means a lot to me. And so there, are, there is a love that loves because the object is actually valuable, right? But then there is a love that loves, and because of that love, it gives value to the object. And that is the kind of love, my friend, that God has for each and every single one of us. God loves you with an unconditional and limitless love. God's love is unconditional. Let me say it like this. I know that most of us think that we love our family and we love our friends unconditionally. But what if that's not true? There are things that people could do to you that would affect the way you care for them, the way that you love them. There are even things that happen to you completely separated from them that will affect the way you love them. Let me give you an example. Have you ever not gotten a good night's rest, and then woken up to children that were complaining and whining and groaning and moaning, and all of a sudden, you just done had enough. And you said, listen here, you little snot-nosed boy or girl, let me tell you how it is. You don't know what trouble is. You don't know what problems are. You don't got to pay no bills. Come on, this is a little fresh in my heart right now. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> your love and my love and our love is conditional. Sometimes we love differently because of things that have happened to us. Sometimes we love differently because we didn't get enough sleep or because we've been sick. Come on, everybody's sick right now, right? You know, sometimes we express our love with a little bit of variation because we're not feeling well. And sometimes we express our love with a little bit of variation because they done got on our nerves. And they done done us wrong or they hurt our feelings or something like that. But God's love is not conditional because God doesn't have any bad days. And God's love is unconditional because even when we do have a bad day, it doesn't infringe on him. And his love doesn't change. God's love is unconditional. Your bad day, your worst day, does nothing to dissolve the power of the empty tomb. Come on, your, your, your greatest mistake, your greatest failure does not make heaven shake and tremble even for a moment because the blood of Jesus is sufficient to forgive you of any and all sin, right? God 
loves each and every one of you with, and me with an unconditional love. And he doesn't necessarily love us because we are valuable, right? It's, it's, it's kind of, it sounds a little backwards when, when I say it like this because even at LifeHouse, our mission is to show the world that they are loved and highly valued. But the value is not intrinsic within myself, right? The value is given to me by the one who loves me and has called me his own. That's where my value comes from. This blanket's worth nothing, right? But to three-year-old Julia, it was worth more to her than I was by far, right? (laughs) That's where it got its value. It's because she loved it. She cherished it. She had to have it when she ate. She had to have it when she sleep. She had to have it all the time, right? And God loves you in that similar fashion. He doesn't love you because of what you bring to the table. He loves you because you're his, And he cherishes you and he desires you. Let me say it like this. God doesn't love you because you're worthy of his love. I don't care how good you are. I don't care. Even on your best day, God doesn't look at you and say, hey, good job. I love you a little more today. You, this is, there's so much freedom in this right here. Hold on to this. You cannot make God love you more. You can't. He loves you, and that is, that is the end of the story. You cannot do anything. You cannot say anything. You cannot give anything. You cannot accomplish anything. You cannot become anything that will in any way whatsoever increase the love that God has for you more than it is in this moment. It's not going to happen. And likewise, the other truth is that you can't make God love you less. Your worst day doesn't dissolve, it doesn't uh, disempower the love of God. God doesn't love you because you're worthy. God's love is what makes you worthy. Let me say it like this. God doesn't love you because you are so valuable. I know that you have talents. I know that you have skills. I know that if you're like me, sometimes you think a little too highly of yourself, even though you probably shouldn't. You wouldn't admit it, not publicly from a platform. I'm the only one dumb enough to do that. But God doesn't love you because you're valuable. There, there's nothing that you bring to the table that God is like, hey, ooh, I'm, so, I'm so glad you showed up. I, I didn't know what we was going to do without you. No, God doesn't love you because you're valuable. But God's love gives you value. That's why, that's why it is our job as a life house. It's our job as believers. And you can word it however you want to word it. You can take these words. You can use other words. But ultimately, our our job, our mission, our goal is to show this world that you, just right where you are, yeah, right in the middle of the mess that you're in, yeah, even in the middle of your failures and your shortcomings, yeah, even though you don't feel worthy, even though you know when you look in the mirror that you have so many flaws, so many mistakes, so many shortcomings, yeah, you are loved and highly valued by your heavenly Father. First John says it like this, God is love. And that's something right then and there that we would do well to remember. That God doesn't just love, but that God is love. Love is not something that God does. Love is embodied in who he is. It's in his nature to love. Let me, let me say it like this. It is in our nature as human beings flawed by sin to be selfish, right? 
to be greedy, to be prideful. But it's in his nature to love and to be generous and even to be humble. You know why God can be humble? Because he doesn't have to impress anybody. He has nothing to prove. God is love, John says in 1 John. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. If you are a Bible underliner, that's a, that's a verse or that's a phrase worth underlining right there. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he, sh- that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And this comes from the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, right? But the, the follower of Jesus, John, the brother of James. Now, don't get confused. You know, we were in a series in James that we may revisit after the first of the year. And that James is the brother of Jesus. But this James is the brother of John, who wasn't John, John the Baptist. You follow me? Am I confusing you a good bit yet? It's kind of like here at Lifehouse. We have a lot of Chads, right? We have to identify. We've got Fire Chad. We've got Model Chad. We've got Car Chad, okay? Um, okay, some of y'all don't get it, and I'm sorry. <laughs> model Chad? There's a Model Chad? He's not in here right now. Second service, this will be a lot better. Um, so this is, this is John, the brother of James, who, and these two brothers were actually nicknamed something by Jesus. Anybody know what they were nicknamed? The sons of thunder, right up there from the camera booth, right? Come on, Melly, tell them how it is. The sons of thunder. You know why they were called the sons of thunder? It's because they were, they were ready to roll at a moment's notice. And you guys, you guys know what I mean by roll, right? I don't mean like stop, drop, and roll. I mean like let's roll, let's go. They were ready to roll. There's this an account. I love this. Man, this makes me feel so much better about myself. The, Jesus and the disciples, they go into this city and people are rude to them and they tell them whatever. And, and James and John, they saw this and they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and burn these jerks up? <laughs> Listen, man, I, I got a little son of thunder living inside of me somewhere, I believe. One guy said, John didn't start fights, he finished them, right? You know, John, John was a hothead. He was a troublemaker. He was very reactionary. And, and if I, listen, if, if like I was writing this and I was like, I, John probably had a potty mouth. You know, he probably, I don't know what Hebrew cuss words are, but I bet he, he knew a few, a little, little bit of Greek slang here and there. I, I imagine John being a guy who chewed tobacco, swallowed the spit, and then drank cheap beer. You know, that was John, right? He was, come on, you know I ain't, come on. Y'all telling the truth. That was John. Here's the key phrase, though. That was John. That was John. That isn't who John became. That's who he was. Hey, there's a lot of us that we were in that similar situation as well. You may, you may not have had all those attributes, but you was somebody. And who you are and who you are becoming is not who you was. John became, or he, he started to give himself a new name, or a new identity, I'll say it like this. If you go and you read the Gospel of John, who is also who wrote 1 John, who is also the one who recorded John 3.16, right? This conversation between Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus. 
He gave himself a new name and he called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And this isn't a statement of arrogance. This is a statement of truth, of his new identity in Christ. Not John, the son of thunder, not John, the hothead, not John, the screw up, but John, the one that Jesus loves. Let me just tell you that no matter what your parents or guardians said about you as you were growing up, come on, anybody else got a little childhood trauma they're still carrying around 40, 30, whatever years later, right? No matter what that teacher or that coach or that so-called friend or that relative said about you or called you or identified you as or how someone made you feel or how badly you've messed up, even if it was today or this weekend, my friend, you are the one Jesus loves. You are the one Jesus loves. Come on, can you just put your hands again on your, on your heart and say, I am the one Jesus loves. Come on, you need to confess this over yourself today because you've been walking around with this false identity, convinced that you are not the one Jesus loves. But my friend, you are the one Jesus loves. Loves And this, again, like I said, isn't a statement of arrogance. This is a statement of truth. You are not loved because you are so great, right? You are loved because you are his. And that is enough. That is enough. And that is a truth that the devil does not want you to believe. He wants you to believe that you have to earn God's love. He wants you to believe that you are always falling short and that you are always living under some state of condemnation and guilt so that you will never live in the victory that has been provided for you, not because you were so good, but because he is so good. And that's the truth. Yeah, come on, give the Lord thanks for that. The truth is that God's love is a free gift, and that is what gives you the power to live a changed life. God didn't just say he loved us. He showed us. Again, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the new King James or the, the King James, which I know this may sound controversial. That's actually not the best translation of that verse from the original Greek manuscripts. A better translation is actually found in the New Living Translation. And it says, for this is how God loved the world. It's not that, it's not saying God loved the world and so he did this, but this is how rather, this is how God demonstrated his love to the world. He gave. That's what he does. He's a giver, right? He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then Paul Reemphasizes this same truth in Romans 5. He says, but God. Everybody say, but God. That's the two greatest words you'll find throughout your Bible. But God. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, remember what I said earlier about how it is so easy for us to become overly familiar with something that we know to be true, that we miss out on the truthfulness or the awesomeness of that truth. Remember, I can go to your house and I can see things that you don't see because they are fresh and new to me. 
right? And so I have a feeling that for many of us today, we read a verse like Romans 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And we hear that, and it goes in one ear and out another because we know it's true, but because we know it's true and because we are so familiar with that truth, the truth no longer brings upon us or brings out of us the kind of reaction that's worthy of that truth. I want to say it again. God showed you his love for you, that while you were still a sinner, and even though there was no guarantee because we've been given free will, that, 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 that we would follow him, right? That while we were still sinners, not even with the possibility that we wouldn't even follow him or live for him or love him back, he sent his son so that he would die in our place and so that through his blood that we would receive forgiveness of our sin. I'm going to read it again, and at some point you're going to catch on because I think it's worth a moment of celebration. I think if we could put on, you know, some fresh lenses and see it again and let it be brand new to us again, remembering how unworthy we really are, how unvaluable that we really are, how, listen, cheap, dirty, messed up, screwed up we really are, if we will remember that even in the midst of our junk and our problems and our pain and our mistakes and our guilt and our well-deserved condemnation, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Josh gets it. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Come on, let's celebrate the Lord. This process started 2,000 years ago as shepherds and angels gathered around a little baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths, right? God in the flesh. God become human. Come to save his people from their sins. This is what Matthew says. He says, and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You see, it's not wrong to say Jesus is the reason for the season. It's just not complete. Because ultimately, and this isn't a statement of arrogance or pride, ultimately, you and I are the reason for the season. Christmas is all about Jesus, but it was all for us. So the next time you hear somebody say, hey, let's remember the true reason for the season, Jesus, you'll say, hey, you're not wrong. You're just incomplete. Let me tell you what he did. And let me tell you why he did it. That God showed us his great love. That while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. So yeah, Jesus is the reason, but so are you. And so am I. And so are we. We are the reason we have a Christmas. We're the reason we have an Easter, right? It's all about Jesus, but it was all for us. It's because we needed rescuing and we could not save ourselves. 
my pastor who gave me this Bible, he was the king of one-liners. He was the king of little things that he would say. You hear a few of them every now and then that I throw out there. But one of the things that he used to always say that just, just always touched my heart, he would say, God, in sending Jesus, reached down further than I could ever reach up. God, in sending Jesus, reached down further than I could ever reach up. Matthew said, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua. Any Joshua's in the house today? Yeah, so you actually share the name of Jesus, by the way. Come on, you can feel proud about that. And in Greek, it means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. You see, to sin means to literally miss the mark, right? God has a standard of righteousness and we've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. But God's love is different. It doesn't love us because of our perfection. It doesn't love us because of our good works. He loves us because we are His. A love, not that loves because the object is so valuable, but a love that loves and then in turn that love gives infinite value to the object, to the person. On this Christmas, as you stand, go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. this Christmas I pray that you would be convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. I want to invite our altar team to come forward in just a moment. Our prayer team. Maybe today I am not the only one in this room that if I'm being honest, would say something to the effect, it is easy for me to believe that God loves you. But when I look in the mirror, and when I look inside myself, sometimes I really struggle to believe that he can love me. Sometimes I really struggle to believe that he will forgive me, that he will bless me. I believe he will do it for you, but I walk away from praying with confidence for you and then I pray with doubt in my heart for myself. Maybe today you would say, hey, I, I feel that. I, I've walked down that road. And maybe today you would like to say, you know, Pastor Drew, I would, I would like for you, for Lifehouse, to pray for me. As I lay my doubt aside, as I lay aside the idea that I have to be good enough and instead I pick up the truth that I have been made good enough because 
of him, not because of me, but because of him. If that's you and you would like special prayer today, our prayer team is down here right now all across the front, and they would love to pray with you, to join hands with you, to join with you in faith, believing that the Lord, through the power of his spirit, would do a work in you right now, today, reassuring you of his love for you, reaffirming that you are indeed loved and highly valued, not because of what you bring to the table, but because you have been invited to his table. And if that's you, would you come now as we pray?